familiar voices, Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson, here to discuss everything going on in the Sooner world. Uh, but first, I got to ask, are you guys feeling the spring fever? Should we have a fever? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I feel pretty good, Adam. I don't know if it's the spring <laughs> fever. But I don't know. Spring fever is a good thing. It's, you know, excitement, energy, because the seasons have changed. It's no longer winter. There's spring practice going on. There's there's lots of things to look forward to. Count OU me baseball in. took two out of three. Adam, you got the fever? Yeah, we've we, got we've got the optimism segment coming up for baseball. <laughs> so we'll get to that a little bit later. But um, How was the Michigan trip? It was cold. It snowed. Uh, the first day I was there pouring uh, snow at, at, for about most of the morning. Power went out. It was it was uh, just a beautiful day, as I heard multiple times while I was up there. So, um, But I'm back. You know, I'm back in the, the nice 75-degree weather days, and I am not complaining about that. Hot takes real fast on the Will Smith, uh, Chris Rock thing. Real or not real? Staged. Yeah. When I first saw that, I was like, this feels kind of sketchy. I don't know, guys. I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning towards the real, but Will Smith I mean, did post an apology on Instagram, so it has yeah, to be real, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> probably just a PR thing that his people are coming up with. I don't know. If you go back and you watch the replay and you slow it down, you can kind of see Chris Rock kind of like embracing it a little bit. Yeah, like, but okay. wouldn't you like kind of but back up a little bit if like if you started to see someone swing? Like, wouldn't your first reaction be to kind of yeah move. but also at the same time i mean will smith like he's a hollywood actor he's been in like sports films he's Agreed. trained like you would think that if you really wanted to hurt somebody or at least attack someone you're you're gonna do something a little bit more than just kind of a a half-ass slap so i mean he played muhammad ali for god's sake so uh he could he could have done a little bit better than that so yeah, yeah i think it's completely staged get people to talk about the oscars so it's working yeah yeah I mean, here Skip we are doing channel, we're talking about it today. Oh, you podcast. Yeah. So, um, well, let's, let's jump in here. There was a, a big weekend, uh, for Sooners on the diamond, uh, both softball and baseball taken on the Baylor bears softball managed to get the sweep in, but they did it by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. Even going back before, uh, before Baylor got to catch up on, uh, last week's games mm-hmm. on the road in Lexington at number, I believe there were 13 Kentucky, uh, Sooners just whoop them. Uh, nine to one in six innings uh, was never really that close from the clips and things I saw. It sounded like there was actually quite a bit of crimson in the crowd, uh, which I know the girls appreciated. There's been some, some few uh, videos and things uh, they've um, released uh, just showing how much they appreciate all the Sooner fans. It's clear that uh, softball fan base is growing, but yeah, guys heading into last weekend, uh, same song, different verse on Friday and Saturday, nine, uh, one win and eight Oh in uh, both in uh, early innings there no need to complete a full game but then sunday comes around the sooners are held uh with one hit and scoreless through six innings uh rally in the seventh all the hits coming with two outs uh, ending with trh innings three or one shot in the bottom of the seventh to walk it off so the sooners remain undefeated and guys for all of the run rules and just the crazy difference of um, you know runs for versus runs against. It is nice to see this team tested every now and then. There's been a handful of games that's been the case. Games they probably shouldn't have won. To be completely honest, they probably should have lost Sunday. Um, but you know they found a way to win, which I think is impressive. Uh, looking forward. Tuesday of this week against Wichita State, then Friday and Saturday against UAB. You would think those would be uh, manageable wins both for OU. And we've talked about it in weeks leading up to this point. How tough is the Big 12 going to be? Well, don't look now. Uh, Oklahoma State and Texas starting to pay up, play to their 
uh, preseason ranking potential. Oklahoma State is up to number eight. Winners of la- their last uh, seven and last 13 of 14, even though the competition hasn't necessarily been great, but a strange loss in there to uh, UT Arlington, who I think is uh, 11 and 16 on the year. So just a-, a team that doesn't make a whole lot of sense up there in Stillwater at the moment. But then you look at Texas up to number 11, 15, 0 and 1 in their last 16 and series sweeps over ranked LSU and Louisiana. So we've kind of been discussing how difficult is it going to be for the OU to kind of roll through the Big 12. Maybe not as easy as it looked, uh, you know, earlier this season. So uh, I think there's a tough couple of tough series to come down the stretch. Well, I mean, just looking at the series against Baylor Friday and Saturday, we saw what we've grown accustomed to from this from this Oklahoma softball team. Dominant pitching uh, paired with great defense, being aggressive on the base pass and lighting it up inside the batter's box one through nine. Flip the page over to Sunday. We got a really good pitching duel from Hope Trotman and Baylor's Dariana Orme. Oh, you couldn't really get anything going offensively for the better part of six innings. Like you said, Corbin, they only had, what was it, one hit collectively as a team going into the seventh inning down 1-0. So, uh, but when this team had to have it, uh, they came up, they again came up with it in a big way, down to their last out. Pinch hitter Kenzie Hansen single to right field. McKenzie Donahue, Donahue steps up and was clutched in a big way. She followed that up with a single of her own. And, you know, guys, uh, that put the uh, go-ahead run on base. Tiara Jennings needed just a base hit to tie the game. Uh, she decided to take matters into her own hands and just into the game with a walk-off uh, home run. So, yeah, a great way to close out the series. It was awesome seeing Patty Gasso's team uh, be able to find a way to win a close game when they were one strike away from suffering their first loss of the season. So, um, you know, it, uh, run rule wins, dominating teams from, you know, from the opening pitch to the final out uh, is, you know, what OU softball is all about. But we know once we get into postseason play, you're not going to be able to do that every single game against the UCLA and some of the other powerhouses in the SEC. So uh, good to see OU string a couple hits together in crunch time, uh, and we'll see what this team can do as we move further into Big 12 play. Baylor only 17-13 and 13 on the year after this weekend, I believe. Not the typical Bears team that we've welcomed to Norman probably even as recently as three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I this, this Sunday game is a little bit concerning for me. Um, you know, if Baylor had a great pitching game, you know, whatever, that's fine. That maybe tells me that maybe this OU team isn't nearly as good as we thought. If they're, you know, going to be in that close of a game against a team like Baylor, or maybe they were sleepwalking into this game on a Sunday after basically run ruling everybody up to this point. And so I wonder if that is, at least to me, it points to, uh, you know, a, a mental focus there that slipped. I just take it as a one-off. I mean, they've played 28 or 29 games. You know, they're they're undefeated. They've run ruled 90% of the teams they've played. So you're not going to be perfect. You know, the bats aren't going to be hot every single time you take the sur- or take the field. Uh, and that's why it helps when you've got such a dominant pitching staff that Patty Gasso does, uh, that three-headed monster that she can trust day in and day out. So the bats aren't always going to be there. Um, this is one out of 28 or 29 games. So uh, it hopes when, you, when you've got a girl like Hope Trotwine that can go out there and shut Baylor down. Yeah, I'm with Tyler on this. I think it's just a one-off game. I really, you know, we've all played sports before. You whoop on so many opponents in a row, you're bound to have an off game uh, where you're just not quite as uh, Mm -hmm. motivated and intense. And you look at a Baylor team who just, you know, can't really compete, uh, you know, if the Sooners are playing their best on a Sunday, you've already won the series. I can see how there's a bit of a letdown. So I'm not too concerned about it. It's good to know when this team has a little bit of a letdown, they can still win games. Um, You know, that's going to happen every now and then. With such a long season, so not too worried about it. But yeah, even looking now against you know uh, the Pokes and the Longhorns, can't have those letdowns. Those two teams will beat you. 
Yeah, for sure. It's something I'll be keeping my eye on as we go through the next couple of series. You know, what is the the mental focus of this team? Because I think for me as a fan too, I kind of get a little bit bored, a little bit of like, oh, I'll just tune out. I'll wait until the postseason comes around because they're just run ruling everyone. And in my mind, I think we've played most of the tough teams already. You've still got Oklahoma State and Texas who are, are real solid, mm-hmm. but uh, you've played Kentucky, you've played UCLA already. You've played some really good teams um, and, and beaten them pretty handily in, in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll be mainly focused on, you know, hey, is this team mentally prepared to you know, take on this winning streak that we talked about last week and actually complete that and not just have, uh, you know, games where you aren't necessarily beat uh, talent wise or, or anything like that, but you just, you weren't on your, your game necessarily like they were on Sunday. They, they worked their way out of it, you know, at the very, very end there, but um, you got to be sharp game in game out. If you're um, going to reach some of those and, lofty goals. And I think that's a great teaching point that, that Patty Gasso can use. I mean, you know, you're, you're not going to be perfect week in and week out. Yes. You took the, the first two games of the series in dominant fashion. You know, maybe there was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a look ahead after the first one, you know, or maybe there was kind of a, you know, we can kind of rest a little bit. We've got this in the bag. We've run ruled this team the last two games. You know, maybe we can just kind of, you know, coast into this game and ultimately it'll take care of itself. You can't always do that. And when you've got a team that uh, in Baylor that, uh, you know, Dariana Orme, she she threw her best game of the season, um, statistically it looks like. So uh, you've got to bring it each and every day. And OU was able to find a way to win it when they didn't have their A game. Yeah. Moving on to basketball, we did get some uh, updates there today. Elijah Harkless and uh, and Tanner Groves both returning mm-hmm. to the Sooners. Um, kind of expected, I guess. Yeah, guys, not only Harkless and Tanner Groves, but uh, Bob Prisbilla tonight tweeted out that CJ Noland is also coming back. Um, so there's three of the names you were kind of curious about. Obviously, there's still some out there. Uh, you also heard, uh, you know, KT Turner being a high kind of prospect candidate for a lot of jobs and assistant coaching jobs around the country. It sounds like he may be heading to Louisville. You kind of wondering what happens now with some of the recruits that you was kind of heavily handed in, um, you know, leading up to this point. So uh, lots of change right now in the OU men's basketball coaching staff and I think just team in general. But sounds like the main core group of guys, um, you know, is sticking around. Take that for how you want, for better or for worse. Um, but I do think specifically Elijah Harkless and CJ Nolan are good pickups to, uh, to have back next mm-hmm. season. Yeah, luckily I think uh, the uh, bulk of Porter Mosier's recruiting class is signed, so they will definitely be on campus a little bit later this uh, uh, this year. But no, um, Tanner Groves and Elijah Harkless coming back, two kind of pillars of this men's basketball team uh, for, for this past season. Now you get C.J. Nolan coming back, uh, another young, promising up-and-comer to kind of, uh, as Bob Prisbilla kind of said, helps kind of build the culture, another piece that can – you know, Porter Moser can rely on another guy that's going to be coming back for another single year. Now it's kind of the waiting game. We play with Mo Gibson, who we saw, to, uh, saw today, uh, who he is going to be exploring professional options, but there is also the opportunity that he could come back for one final season. So um, I think that some of the the key pieces in place right now, um, you mentioned Tanner Groves and Elijah Harkless, them coming back. Um, that sets OU up well for next year. If you get Emoja Gibson to come back, um, then you have to really think about this team could make some noise and possibly – um, you know, be a team that uh, one definitely makes the tournament next year, but maybe this is a team that you know, second year under Porter Mosier, uh, you bring in some uh, elite recruiters, especially guards that can score the basketball. This might be a team. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe they can run, make a run to the second week of March Madness. 
21 points per game between Tanner Groves and Elijah Harkless returning. Um, you got to like that because I do think Mo Gibson is gone. I, I really just see this as him saying some nice things on his way out, not just saying, hey, I'm, I'm gone. Um, it's is, very is he unusual. Blowing, is he blowing kisses to the crowd as he leaves? <laughs> I, I didn't want to compare him to Caleb Williams because it's a little bit different situation. Um, but very rarely do you see a guy with eligibility remaining go ahead and leave early to go overseas, which is pretty much what Mo Gibson is is going to do in this situation unless he returns to OU. Mm-hmm. So a little bit strange. You're seeing some uh, different guys rumored by um, you know some reporters on Twitter as far as, oh, hey, this guy from Gardner-Webb is in contact with OU or, or, or whatever school it might be. And I don't know. I, I can't get myself too excited about any of those guys just yet. Um, simply because we saw Tanner Groves come in and was probably a little bit lower than what we expected. Um, guys like Aaron Calixty in the past um, from in Maine, I believe was where he came from and was probably subpar from what we were expecting there too. So you have some guys at lower levels that are, are big time players, but once they get into big boy basketball, it's, it's a lot tougher, a lot, a lot tougher. So not sure what to expect there. You almost kind of have to wonder too, does Mo Gibson think about exploring the transfer portal? I mean, what does he have a free transfer? Because he, he came from North Texas. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I, I guess the point I was going to make is when you you would have to think that when he sees when guys like Brady Manick, Alondis Williams, Cam McGusty, the years that they're having mm-hmm. uh, at a different destination, you almost kind of have to wonder if that is possible. That might be an opportunity that he looks towards. Well, one, but, one thing to keep in mind, guys, is I think NCAA basketball is different than football in a sense where you can go and explore the pros and you have a timeline to where you can withdraw your name from the draft. Yeah. And so there's a there's a window there that you have to explore other opportunities. And if I'm him, why would I not do that? You know, mm-hmm. especially, you know, to look at potentially overseas, you can still make a crap ton of money over there. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that's it's, it's option. You know, one is I think he's gone. He's playing an overseas mm-hmm. market. And B, if we get lucky and, you know, maybe he thinks he can improve his draft stock in the NBA, which I don't think is likely. Um, you know, maybe, maybe something changes, but I, I would not count him, um, count on him coming back next year. Do you think that's an option that NCAA football should consider as far as you can explore your options going to the NFL, but maybe you don't get the draft grade that you want, or maybe you go to the NFL combine, you don't put up the results that you want. Um, they give you kind of a deadline in which you can return to school. I like that. Screw up the scholarships. It's a great thought. Yeah, from a player perspective, that's nice. From a coaching and roster management perspective, that's that's quite a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there there may need to be some balance there. Uh, last little note here on basketball, the bracket challenge, the $150 prize uh, up for grabs with the uh, last weekend of the tournament happening uh, this weekend. And uh, in first place right now, someone who uh, failed to follow the rules. So we have no way to contact them. Uh, We instructed everyone to insert their Twitter handle into the name of their bracket. And the person leading right now is currently just number four. So we have no way to contact you if that's you and you've chosen Villanova as your champion um, and you're listening. Make sure to change your bracket so we have a way to contact you. If we don't have a way to contact you, we will go to second place, which currently is uh, Vasant Salati, which I'm just going to say, I'm pretty sure I pronounced that right. (laughs) So let's hope so. But uh, we will go to second place. Uh, So uh, that's where we stand with the bracket challenge. Cool. Um, And I think 
Corbin, you said you have uh, you've beaten both Tyler and I, and it is uh, it yep. is already done. Still waiting uh, on my trophy from uh, you know our pick'em throughout the football season that is yet to make it to my doorstep. Strange and shocking, I know. So I don't expect anything from uh, from Tyler on this one, but yeah, it's right there. I mean, it's unreal. I give I, I sent you my address while we were recording. I got multiple return to sender <laughs> no stickers put, stickers put on the package. There's so no way. I'll uh, I'll have you send that address over one more time, and we'll get that out to you. So yeah, um, I, we'll see if I get it by next football season. We'll see. We'll see. So, I have my Adam. Doubts. What's going? Yeah, <laughs> Adam. What's uh, what's going on with football, man? Yeah. So lots of things going on with spring practice right now, but. Um, you know, we could talk about that, but everyone's kind of got their opinions. It kind of gets into the old scenarios of, oh, the defense won this day. Well, that means the offense sucks and then vice versa. So don't necessarily want to get too much in the weeds of the practice report. Um, today, I wanted to talk a little bit more about our expectations for Brent Venables, specifically win-wise, and then kind of compare that to how some first-year coaches have performed uh, in mm-hmm. recent years. So I guess first off, to start off with a baseline, <laughs> For you guys, what is your expectation? Give me a win number total as far as saying, hey, this is a passing grade uh, for Brent Venables in his first year. Nine. I think for me, it's, yeah. I, I was going to even go one above and say double digits. I, I think that when trying to consider what a passing grade is, like, you know, what, what is a successful first season for Brent Venables uh, here in Norman? I think you just kind of have to take a step back. Just look across the rest of the Big 12. Iowa State's losing a ton of guys. They should take a step back. Oklahoma State, while they are going to have Spencer Sanders and Jalen Warren returning, they're replacing a ton of starters on defense, including the defensive coordinator. Uh, Baylor should once again be up there towards the top, and we all know the hype that's already being uh, pumped up uh, out of Austin with Texas and Quinn Ewers. So to me – a passing grade for Brent Venables is being one of the two teams in Arlington come December competing for a Big 12 championship. You've got a very talented roster uh, that is just unproven in a lot of key areas right now. But at the end of the day, uh, I expect Oklahoma to be in contention for the conference crown, and that's what it, that's what's going to tip the scale for me uh, on, in terms of pass-fail. I think if it came down to, let's say we don't get to Arlington, it would be how are you losing those games? Um, I think the way you lose matters. And if he goes out and he loses two or three really nail biters, but handles the business on the rest, I, I think there's putting just a sheer number on. It's really tough. If, if I were to do it, I'm, I'm saying it's nine and that way, anything in double digits, I think is just a bonus on, on year yeah. one, especially looking Adam, you put together this list here of, of first year candidate, first year head coaches and their records. Very few are hitting double digits, um, and so it's very interesting to that you know you pulled that up. But yeah, I think anything above nine would be just a, a sheer bonus. Um, but I do think what happens and how the games are played in that stretch. I mean, guys, look at last year. We were what eight and zero heading into uh, into Waco, and we were all pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't even though you were undefeated, it didn't feel like it. Um, and so you know, obviously, I think we would love to be eight nine and zero heading into the end of the season with Venables at the helm in his first year. But I think how those games play, win or loss, uh, from beginning to end of the season, it, it's going to say a lot. Just in, in more than just the win loss numbers. I think the over under win totals for college football come out in June from Vegas, if I remember correctly from what we saw last year. So you would have to think OU is probably going to be sitting around that nine and a half number. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be the, kind of the sweet spot that Vegas um, just sets it in. But you know, Corbin, I think you make a good point too. Um, 
maybe wins and losses, yes, that's what we're going to judge this team by, but you kind of want to see how this team plays the game. You know, we hear it time and time again from other podcasts, from the radio, uh, even from the the coaching press conferences. OU right now, three practices or four practices in. Uh, it's all about instilling or installing that culture uh, that Brent Venables wants this program to have. So uh, seeing the way that this team plays, you know, especially on the defensive side of the football, I think we can probably – uh, even though that there is some question marks with Dylan Gabriel, there's some question marks on the offensive line, uh, and I would even say there's some question marks on the uh, the overall depth of the wide receiver room. Uh, I want to see how this defense plays. I think that from a talent standpoint, um, this defense that Brent Venables is, is inheriting is a lot better um, from a four-star, five-star player personnel type group compared to what Alex Grinch got whenever he came into Norman. So seeing what Venables, uh, Ted Roof, and this defensive staff can do in year one, I think is going to kind of tell the tale for me. Maybe not so much as what wins and losses will do. Obviously, we expect them to compete for a Big 12 championship, but if you can kind of tell the difference in the way that this team plays compared to the previous regime, um, I think you've got to feel good about the way that this uh, this program is going, especially when you look and see uh, how well Oklahoma is doing right now uh, on the recruiting trail, building those relationships, especially uh, with the 2024 and 2025 guys. Yeah, I'm right in agreement with you guys there. Probably that, you know, 9-10 win range I think is passing grade for me. It's getting to Arlington. And then, of course, there may be some extenuating circumstances or just saying, hey, you know, I like the way this team is playing despite Mm -hmm. winning nine games and just missing out on the chance to go to Arlington. Although I, I say that also knowing that my standard for this team each and every year, regardless of what's going on, is national championship um, yeah. at the same time. So I, I know that doesn't really quite make a whole lot of sense, but it does in my mind. Um, Corbin, you mentioned the kind of some examples. I did some research just to go back and look and say, hey, national championship level head coaches, because that's really what we want Brent Venables to be. Let's just take a look at those guys that maybe have contended or played in national championships, if not won them, uh, and what they did in their first year in the job. So just kind of looking back real quickly, uh, Kirby smart at Georgia eight and five in his first year, Bob Stoops, we all know seven and five, uh, Nick Saban, six and six at Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, urban Meyer went nine and three at Florida, 12 and 0 at Ohio state. Uh, Chip Kelly went 10 and three at Oregon, Dabo Sweeney, nine and five at Clemson. Uh, and then Gus Malzahn, who I think actually might be the most relatable situation 12 and two played in a national championship, lost to Florida state in 2013. It's kind of a, it's kind of a hard comparison here because it's not like, OU was down. Uh, it's not like Lincoln Riley was fired and it's not a complete passing of the torch like Bob to Lincoln or urban Meyer to Ryan day. It's a really unique scenario here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know, going down that list, looking at Kirby smart, Nick Saban, um, and, you know, other, other guys like Bob Stoops, I don't think that any one of those coaches going into their first year had a roster that was built quite like the way the the one that uh, Brent Venables inherited here in Norman. And guys, let's not forget, Adam, you touched on it. You know, Lincoln Riley wasn't fired. Um, OU is not in a rebuilding mode right now. They're, they just kind of hit the reset button with uh, uh, with the new uh, you know head football coach right now. But this is still a team that won 11 games last season. So um, yes, uh, they lost both of their starting quarterbacks that were in the room last year. A few key pieces. Uh, especially in the front seven, a lot of defensive production going to the NFL. So there's a lot of question marks around this team, but you can't deny the fact that this is a very, very talented roster. And if if OU can figure out a way, uh, and I put a lot of this on Jeff Levy, if they can be productive on offense, um, I think that this team can still win a ton of games and Brent Venables can have a very successful year uh, in year one here at Oklahoma. 
Yeah, couldn't have said it better. It's it is a strange situation, um, and yeah, I, I would lean towards being on your side, Tyler. There is a lot of talent on the roster, but anytime something is unproven as a lot of this quote unquote talent is, it's hard to kind of mm-hmm. put that label on it. Like, I mean, anybody can say you got a lot a lot of talent on the roster, but it doesn't matter if they don't do anything. And so, yeah. I think it'll be an interesting test this year. There's certainly question marks. Um, about this team moving forward. And unfortunately, I think there are more question marks now than what we're heading into last season. We certainly realized last season was a disappointment. Now, again, Adam, going back to what you said, (coughs) excuse me, some circumstances that maybe a little bit outside of what we expected uh, heading into last season, but they still underachieved leading up to that point as well, kind of when the wheels started to, to fall off. So it'll be very interesting just kind of see how it all plays out. I don't know what, I don't fully know what to expect and what I would be happy with, I think it's going to be more of what I see on the field versus just a sheer wins and loss record. What would surprise you guys more? Uh, a six and six type of season or are you playing in the national championship game? More surprising? Yeah. I think it would be more surprising if OU went six and six. I would lean towards that as well. Although I think both are very unlikely. From a talent standpoint, it's the number one or number two best roster in the Big 12 by far. Texas and Oklahoma are in a category of its own. Baylor might be a close third, uh, but just going down the rest of the list, I mean, it's it's OU and Texas. It's got to be. Yeah. And I, looking at the 2022 schedule, it's it's not that difficult of a stretch. I mean, yeah, you've got Texas and, and Dallas, but you've also got schools – uh, you've got to go to TCU, but you get Baylor at home. Look out for Nebraska. Get, Look out for Nebraska. That's, that's tough. Yeah, that's, tough but that's a tough Very early, early season, new coach, hard place mm-hmm. to play in, historic rivalry. I may be making that trip. It's not too far from me. That's there as well. That's that's one to just, just watch. If you get through mm-hmm. Nebraska, then you kind of set yourself on a path of like, okay, like everything's in front of you. But if you lose, I think it's kind of like a a reality check. Like, okay, this may take a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. I hope you're not planning a drive from uh, Colorado out to Lincoln. It's a terrible drive, but it's not that bad as far as like, uh, like hours wise. I think it's four or five hours. Have you found a place yet for Lincoln, Adam? I I have. I need to start looking. Yeah. I got my Airbnb a long time ago before, uh, before I even scheduled honeymoon stuff before, uh, (laughs) prices went up. Priorities. Yeah, I know. And I told her, I told my fiance that and she was, uh, set her straight. Yeah, (laughs) I did. (laughs) That's the tone, Adam. (laughs) Well, I'm bringing her with me. So, uh, she's, she's there for the ride too, but (laughs) yeah, but yeah, I I think that will be a tough game. Um, probably tougher than we expect. I think that you put a pretty good question here. Um, and curious to kind of get your thoughts on this as well. When talking about is, is this closer to a reset, um, that urban Meyer faced when he got to Florida, or is it kind of more of a passing the torch, uh, like Ryan day experienced when urban Meyer turned it over to him in Ohio state. And to me, this is closer to what urban Meyer had to do when he took over the reins in Gainesville. Urban had a veteran quarterback and Chris Leak to, you know, go along with the talented supporting class, much like Brent does with Dylan Gabriel in this OE roster. Ryan Day, very, very similar to, to Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield. Ryan Day walked in and had Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and those boys. Ryan Day was basically handed a Lamborghini, and basically all he had to do was try not to drive the thing off the road. So yep. I think that this is a little bit closer to what Urban Meyer had to deal with at Florida, um, and we'll see We'll see what Brink can do with this. Yeah, I just thought of this as we were, we're, we're having this discussion. I wouldn't call it a, a rebuild. It's more of a restructure which 
there is a structure and a foundation there. You're, you're taking some of those pieces out and putting new ones in. Um, but a lot of the framework is still there. So you're really just strengthening the, the core here and making everything stronger, adding a lot of new pieces. Um, but it's not a total rebuild. It's not even really a, a reload necessarily. Um, it, it's so unique. Um, and that's why I went back and I said, hey, is there anybody in history that has had anything relatively similar to this type of situation? And really, there really wasn't because almost no coach leaves a program like OU um, after all the success that he had, there was, I mean, Lincoln's job was not in, in jeopardy. Um, he just bolted in the middle of the night and that really hasn't happened in recent memory. Um, I honestly, I think Gus Malzahn at, uh, at Auburn was the closest. Now he did come in take over after a three and nine season from Gene Chizik, but, um, just a few years before that Auburn had won the national championship. Uh, Gus Malzahn was familiar with the program. He was the offensive coordinator of that team, uh, came back to Auburn, which had lots of talent. Auburn's such a weird program. <laughs> They're very much a roller coaster there. So it's kind of, it's still different at the same time, but I feel like that was the closest example that I could find. Everybody else was taken over after someone that maybe underperformed like Ron Zook at Florida, or maybe was a passing of the torch like Mike Bellotti to, to Chip Kelly at Oregon. So it's just really tough to, to say, Hey, here's the expectation. Here's the gauge. Even though all these changes that he's doing are so good. And we're so excited about them at this point. I think that's a really good conversation that we can save for another day um, in terms of Lincoln Riley's, you know, job status here here at Oklahoma after this past season. Because I think that you could probably even make the claim, given the high expectations that there were going into 2021, the way that the season fell apart last year, if he did come back, you've we've seen the we've seen the tweet, we've seen the statistics. OU has just gradually gotten a little worse over. Uh, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley's five years here in Norman. So you don't make the Big 12 championship. Uh, I think that there could uh, there could be some fans um, with some uh, uh, displeasures in what Lincoln Riley was doing at Oklahoma if he decided to come back. The seat was definitely getting hotter, guys. But tr- to transition back to Venables real quick, I'm going to be very interested of when the shine wears off and this program experiences a loss, maybe two, mm-hmm. maybe three. We saw it back with the... And I'm not comparing the two. We start back with with Mike Stoops where all the catchphrases and all the lingo and it just all got old and, and people became robotic about it. I worry about that a little bit. And, you know, there's a lot of great things that you're hearing on Twitter videos and the coaches are saying this and it's it's all awesome right now. Is that going to be as awesome if we go up to Lincoln and lose to start, you know, the season, you know, two games in? What what happens then? And so I'm going to be very interested to kind of see how this plays out once this team faces adversity, and they will. They are not going to go undefeated next season, I don't believe. That would be awesome if they did. But what happens then? And that, that'll that be really interesting to kind of see how Venables hands that, handles that. Yeah, and it's kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the last question I had on, on football topic here was, you know, despite all the good changes that have come into play here, is it too much change? to expect this team to really go that far. Mm-hmm. And um, case in point, a good example of that is Billy Bowman today mentioning that, hey, we can finally return a punt, which drove OU fans crazy mm-hmm. now. But it's a little change. It's a good thing. It'll result in some good things. But compound that on top of the thousands of different things that are changing yeah. for um, this program, this team, um, the coaching staff, so on and so forth. Is it is it too much to expect 
you know, uh, you know, 10, 12 wins potentially when there's mm-hmm. so many changes that there may just be some growing pains as we work through those. I think that there's definitely going to be growing pains now, whether that's uh, an eight win football team, a 10 win football team that that remains to be seen. But yeah, I, I think that there's one thing that we can be confident in as OU fans and not, you know, we're, we're not going to be sunshine puppers on this. There are question marks about this team going into next year. Um, Spring game's not going to really tell you anything. We're going to hear a lot of things over summer workouts into fall camp, what we think is going to happen, how this team is performing, but we're really not going to know anything until, like you said, Corbin, I think Nebraska, that's your first real test where you're on the road, first time with the new coaching staff, first time that Dylan Gabriel is going to be. Probably that'll be the most hostile atmosphere he's played in going to Lincoln. Regardless of how good they are, you know that place is going to be packed. They've got the sellout streak as well. But the the, the culture change – the 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 shoring up of the small things, the attention to detail, the in-game adjustments, the you know reprioritizing how how important special teams is, and you know uh, whether that's the kicking game, whether that's the return game, basically not we're not going to be conceding, uh, you know punting the ball, just fair catch it, move on to the next thing. Uh, but I think that there's going to be some holistic changes. Um, we've already seen it with what Thad Turnipseed is trying to do with uh, the fundraising. We've seen it from a culture standpoint, the toughness, the attention to detail, uh, the attitude, the level of focus. Um, and I, I'm very excited about this, but there's a lot of question marks still to be uh, still to be solved uh, whenever it comes to this football team. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, well, that'll take us to the segment of the show that everyone is waiting for, which is baseball. Uh, before we jump into that, though, um, I do want to remind everyone, give us a follow on Twitter at the mainline pod. Uh, and if you've made it this far and enjoyed the discussion, give us a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts as well as we greatly appreciate that as well as finding us on our new YouTube page, uh, the mainline podcast. We'll have mm-hmm. some different segments of the podcast. If you enjoy watching uh, this more in a video format, um, you can see Tyler's beautiful face there. And so uh, we'll have some of those segments uh, going up there as well as maybe some other stuff throughout the season as we go. So, uh, well, that brings us to baseball then, <laughs> which uh, had a great weekend. Um, it was a little bit easier to, to find optimistic some optimistic Adam, optimistic Adam. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, there was a couple different ways I could take the optimism. I'll save that point uh, for last year. So, uh, but I mean, you got to love it. Uh, two, you know, two to one on the, uh, on the weekend series against Baylor, a team that I think OU is certainly in competition for, for that fourth or fifth spot uh, in the conference. And I think if you're in that fifth spot in the conference, you're probably in postseason play. So um, great to see that um, did it at home. The Saturday game featured uh, back-to-back grand slams in the eighth and ninth inning uh, to not only come back and tie the game, but uh, actually go ahead and uh, walk it off by uh, Peyton Graham there. So um, you got to love it. Sunday, a little bit different story there. Um, just a, an absolute, absolute hemorrhaging of runs, especially once the, the bullpen came in. And, uh, man, it just felt like, oh, you just wanted that game to end. But um, still, you know, you got the series win, and now you've got uh, a really big, critical week ahead of you here. Um, Oklahoma State, Tuesday night. Some people might be listening to this after that game has already been played. It's going to be up in Tulsa at One Oak Field. If OU wins it, I think that's icing on the cake. Uh, I'm not really too concerned about that if that's a loss necessarily. You've got a, a team in Oklahoma State that's super hot right now on an 11-game win streak. Uh, they've got some some great hitters, and um, that's OU's weakness right now is we just cannot uh, you know keep guys from crossing the plate. So mm-hmm. um, you know that might be one that you just say, hey, we're, we don't have weekend starters. We've got a midweek guy going in there. It's a bullpen game, and 
to see what happens and then focus more on the Texas series down in Arlington, which is still strange to me <laughs> that, that we're playing that down there. But Texas came into the year pretty much unanimous, number one, the favorite to win the College World Series, and they've slipped a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're currently around 10th in the polls, but they do have um, the top three home run hitters. They've got four guys hitting over 357. Uh, from the plate. And for reference, OU's best hitter, Diego Muniz, uh, hitting 358. So uh, while OU is a very well-rounded hitting team at the moment, um, they just don't nearly have the the collection of, of elite hitters like Texas does. So yeah, that, that Texas lineup is a great recipe for what our bullpen is going to face. <laughs> yeah, it's man, you, you look at the stats and you've got your Friday starter and Jake Bennett, who's leading the big 12 in a number of categories, including ERA. Um, but then after that, you've got David Sandlin, who's kind of hot and cold. Chaz Martinez, who has had some really good games and some games mm-hmm. that are, weren't so great. Uh, and then the bullpen basically is just a complete crapshoot at this point. Um, that I just don't know who's a dependable arm that you're calling out there. So the hitting, the offense has come around to be able to you know get you in the game up until that sixth, seventh inning round. And then it's just a, it's a brand new ball game at that point. Um, so... Is it surprising uh, to you, Adam, that we here we are um, going to be starting our, our next series uh, here at the beginning of April? Is it surprising to you um, that Skip Johnson, you know, notorious the best pitching coach in, in in college baseball, is it surprising that the bullpen still continues to struggle two months into the season? No, not really, um, which is kind of sad because this is what Skip Johnson has been as the head coach. The pitching mm-hmm. outside of that 2020 year when you had a great weekend trio – and we didn't get far enough into that season to really know what the bullpen truly was. But outside of that year, I, I don't necessarily know that I've been super confident in the pitching. Yeah. Um, so I, this may be his second best weekend starters, but you know, if those guys aren't going to be pitching complete games, which is very rare, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially in college baseball, you know, it, it just doesn't matter once the bullpen comes in and gives it all up. I think that one of the things, if you're an Oklahoma baseball fan, that's got to give you a little bit of confidence, you know, reason for some optimism as they travel down to Globe Life Field to take on Texas this weekend is, um, you know, against Baylor, some quality pitching that they threw out there against us. You saw Oklahoma's lineup kind of come alive, you know, uh, scoring five runs, nine runs, and eight runs over that series. That's an average of just over seven runs a game. Um, if you can continue that over the course of Big 12 play, you've got to feel good about your chances, even with the pitching struggling once you get into the bullpen uh, into the later innings. So if Oklahoma's bats can continue to stay hot, um, I think that there's a chance that they could get on a little bit of a run. And, you know, maybe uh, maybe just like the Baylor series, maybe there's a series, whether against OSU or Texas, where they surprise everybody and they take two out of three. Yeah, I agree. And that's what you need to do. So uh, before Corbin falls asleep uh, from yawning on baseball, I'll get into my <laughs> optimism here. And there's not a ton of projections out uh, just yet. It's still early in the season. Um, a lot could go very, very good or very bad for this OU team. But as it stands right now, I think it's a pretty good consensus that OU is probably a three seed in the uh, postseason tournament. So I don't know if I'm <laughs> completely satisfied with that, but at least they're in right now. And I'll take that because um, the postseason has evaded Skip Johnson uh, multiple years um, as the head coach. So That'd be a, a good step in the right direction to, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they can stay there. And again, I think if OU can finish fifth in the Big 12, um, that should put them in in position to do that. But 
uh, a big week here. Um, you know, gotta, gotta make some noise against OSU in Texas. So, uh, that'll bring us to the final segment of the day, which is our Mount Rushmore. So Corbin, this was your idea. I loved it. Dress it up for us. Yeah, we haven't done this segment in a while, guys, uh, but basically picking four of our favorite things. And in uh, thinking forward to next week's spring game, wanted to do something uh, a little unique just for Baker coming back, the Heisman statue being unveiled. Uh, so what we're doing here is we're going to do uh, four of our favorite Baker moments. And we've kept that pretty open-ended, whether it's a game, whether it's which there are plenty of off the field moments. Uh, there could be a variety of things to choose from here. Um, I'm not going to start us off because I really don't want to. It seems very difficult to do that. So Adam, going to throw it over to you. Lead us off with the first pick of your Baker moments. Wow. Um, I did not expect the first pick, um, but yeah, call an audible is, here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a pretty easy one for me. Uh, I got to go with the flag plant at Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, a great game, uh, a big win. I don't want to talk about he who shall not be named, but this was like, I think, really put Baker in that solid status as Heisman contender. I know it was only, I think, mm-hmm. game two on the year, but um, how, how could you not love that? Going into Columbus, uh, a historic stadium, um, beating Ohio State, by, I think, was it like 10, 15 points? So, it was a mm-hmm. pretty uh, pretty substantial win there. And then to have that epic uh, imagery around the flag plant, um, so amazing. I, I think that was probably number one across the board for all of us. Okay, no? Okay, well, Corbin, maybe you can maybe you can get a good one here at number one. Uh, and I think we'll go, uh, I guess, Tyler next on this one. Uh, yeah, plant the flag was definitely number one for me. Um, but uh, a close second, uh, I'm going to go down to Baylor. Uh, for, for Baker's last year, uh, the you forgot who daddy is moment, the uh, the Eddie Radosevich video that he was, uh, we were very fortunate for him to capture that kind of went viral multiple times over the last few years. But yeah, um, that, that was a big one for, uh, for, for Baker. I think he threw for around 285 yards, three picks, zero or three touchdowns, zero picks. So he backed it up. But yeah, um, ugly, just, ugly game. Just, it was very ugly, very yep. ugly. Uh, Abdul Adams was part of the team back then. So <laughs> didn't he have a ninety-nine-yard uh, yeah. touchdown run? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. ninety-nine yards. Yeah. So, but yeah, you forgot who Daddy is. Just, just that—that's just classic Baker, full-on savage mode. Gonna have to give um, you a spanking. Gonna have, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So that's number one for me, Corbin. What do you have? Yeah, guys. To me, went a little uh, different here. So none of these things can happen unless Baker shows up as a walk-on right after Trevor Knight's, you know, Alabama Sugar Bowl win. So for me, my first overall pick is Baker arriving in Norman as a walk-on, staying in the dorms, playing softball intramurals, all the things that we we love about Baker. It kind of resembled all that early on um, for him to do what he did after just simply walking onto a place like Oklahoma. None of this happens without that moment. So that, to me, that's my number one. Um, number two for me is the first half of the Rose Bowl. Just all encompassing of what that first two quarters w- was. It, it it was one of the, the most elated, I think moments of my OU fandom was, was what was taking place there. I mean, they were going up and down the field against Georgia and then the CD land passed to them in the back of the end zone, which we thought would have led into halftime. Um, all of those things were special. So first half Rose bowl is really, really high up there for me. Favorite game that I've ever been to was that Rose Bowl. Um, first half, 
best that OU played all season long. And I've got to admit, I'm, I'm guilty of it. Once Baker caught that reverse pass touchdown in the end zone to put OU up, I think it was, what, 31-14 to 14 at that point before the squib kick. Uh, we'll, we'll forget about that. We'll gloss over. But, uh, no, I was guilty uh, at halftime. I was I was looking at, uh, at flights and hotel rooms for the national championship game. So, my how it changed two hours later. But uh, <laughs> ne- next one for me, I'm uh, – I think this one will be here towards the end, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on it. But uh, I'm gonna go the 2017 Bedlam performance. I think mm-hmm. that um, that's probably a top three game that I've ever been to. What um, with OU football, the duel, uh, Baker and Mason Rudolph kind of going back and forth, um, and that was during the time where uh, the Mike Stoops defense. If Oklahoma didn't score, chances are they were gonna lose the game. So. Uh, that performance uh, the the Baker put up, that was kind of uh, Marquise Brown's coming out party uh, that Gus Johnson fell in love with him. So Baker lighting it up in Stillwater uh, and knocking off the the pokes. Um, so, yeah, give me uh, the 2017 Bedlam performance. Love it. I'm going to go with the Tennessee game in 2015, specifically the shush that he does to the fans uh, after he uh, ran the ball in think that was still in regulation if i recall correctly or it could have been, could have been that, overtime that may have been the overtime? fourth and that may have been the fourth and one play okay yeah i know i know line. it was fourth down i don't remember if that was overtime or, or once that was overtime quarter. yeah but um that specific moment was kind of like the crown on top of baker mayfield anointing him as the as the yeah. official you know uh, starter the guy that we all put our trust in at that point because up until that game and really, until late in that fourth quarter, it was like, oh, my gosh, is like Trevor Knight going to get back in this? Or who is this walk-on? You know, so um, that was just a, a huge, huge moment there. Um, I have the next pick as well. And I think I'm going to go with uh, winning the Heisman here. Um, I believe, if I recall correctly, uh, his first or the first and only former walk on to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty special moment. Um, and uh, I mean, winning the Heisman, that's the highest achievement you can get as an individual uh, in college football. So yeah. kind of surprised that it lasted this long. That was yeah, next for uh, me. Another really good one. Back to you, Tyler. Um, next for me. Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys have heard, um, but uh, Baker Mayfield played against Patrick Mahomes in college. I don't know if that's been thrown <laughs> out there at any time, but yeah. Uh, his performance, the kind of the return to Lubbock. Uh, we all remember the, the trader shirts being thrown out there in the student section. Uh, that place was filled up. Um, the, the Mayfield Mahomes duel uh, and Baker getting the better half of Patrick. Um, that's definitely an all time moment uh, for Baker Mayfield and his time wearing the Crimson and Cream. Yeah, third pick here, uh, Baylor 2015. Uh, that was a change of the tide in, in kind of the conference prestige of where OU was at the time. Mm-hmm. Baylor, what, had won back-to-back conference championships uh, leading into that year, if I remember correctly. I, I could be off there. And so to go into Waco against Art Bryles and just the high-powered offense and all that, to go down there and win in a rainy, you know, brand new stadium uh that that's up there for me that that kind of stemmed oklahoma back to kind of national relevancy uh in a sense was that night so that was a big one man guys this is a tough one because i've got three off the field things that i really want to go for um we'll have some time for honorable mentions we we will i'm gonna do uh baker mayfield's death 
Uh, you know, he died leading up. <laughs> <laughs> he, he died leading up to the West Virginia game, and our captains carried his jersey out there for the oh coin toss. Uh, so you know, Baker dying and uh, the nice tribute that the, the captains did before the West Virginia game. I mean, it's so good, guys. Like that was the, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life, but it was awesome. Yeah, I, I can remember being in my seat and seeing or what was it? Orlando Brown and Dimitri uh-huh. Flowers, those were two carrying it out. They carry his jersey and then like ten seconds later, here comes Baker running out right behind him. So we thought something was a lot more wrong than it actually was. Because uh, he set out for a possession. Yeah. Like two plays. <laughs> oh yeah. That's that, good. What's that mean? That's back to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. Yep. Uh so yeah, I've got three that I could go with here. Um I'm I'm going to go another one of Baker's, you know, kind of more savage moments. Um, I'm going to 2016 Bedlam. Oh, you played fantastic. It was kind of a cold and rainy game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes the knee, throws the ball up in the air, and immediately starts taking the pads off as both teams come together. Uh, come to find out, revealing the back-to-back Big 12 champion shirt that he had, uh, uh, had created before the game. So kind of calling his shot, uh, just kind of an all-time savage moment right there. From number six so that's going to round out the uh the mount rushmore for me you stole my last one tyler mm-hmm. i didn't have a single one that i <laughs> that was stolen that i really wanted <laughs> until just now so um for me uh, and I, I guess i'll let you guys clarify the rule on this one because we had said no pro moments i don't think i kind of consider this a little bit of a blend here getting drafted number one overall. yeah i think that's fair yeah, yeah. That's fair. and i again he who shall not be named Bob Stoops was there. Like it was kind of a special moment. The whole social media uh, scene that went on uh, for OU there was just really well done. Um, the the Brett Favre uh, yep. picture that they recreated, yep. um, him snubbing the NFL draft and saying, "I'm not going to go sit in the green room." You know, he had been disrespected a ton leading up mm-hmm. to the whole draft process, um, but still being selected number one overall. And yeah, it's not working out in in uh, Cleveland. He's probably going to end up, I guess, in uh, maybe Seattle, um, maybe I don't Detroit. Think anybody knows. <laughs> nobody, nobody seems to know. I, personally, I would love him to go to Detroit, as I'm uh, married into the Lions family, uh, Alliance family here later this spring. But um, I know a lot of people would not like that at all for him. Because well, they've got Jared Goff right now, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, it really doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, I've even heard Tampa Bay though, and he he's, he may go sit behind Brady for a year. Yeah, I really think what, what will probably the, you know, what, what probably is going to happen is I think Cleveland will just have to suck it up, pay him, cut him, and then and then some team like Tampa Bay might be able to say, hey, um, yep. you know, here is uh, here we can give you a million dollars because Cleveland's already paid him at that point, and he can go back up. Uh, yeah, well, Brady's isn't he still on the hook right now? Cleveland's going to owe him eighteen million dollars for this final season, so. You would have yeah. to think, regardless of if, if he doesn't get traded, he's going to be in Cleveland. Chances are Deshaun Watson's probably going to get suspended by the NFL for at least a portion of the season. You would hope. Um, I don't know. But do, does Baker play? I wouldn't. Mm-mm. I would. I would, would I would just say, hey, cut me. Cut me, pay me, and then I'll go you know, somewhere else for a, a small salary. Cause that opens up the, the possibilities there. Wouldn't be the worst Cle- thing in the Cleveland's world. Cleveland's stupid enough to keep him though. That's the thing, <laughs> yeah, you know, like they, they would make the point to pay him the same amount and keep him mm-hmm. rather than just like get rid of him or let Deshaun kind of just Cause this, if, if for whatever reason, Deshaun struggles, 
for the first three to four games of the year, and you still have Baker on the roster, like why why invite that into your your organization? Well, let's remember what franchise we're talking I'm about. I'm clearly here. aware they, of that. They but. deserve every bit of it. But uh, all right, guys, no. honor, honorable mentions. Yeah, um, uh, I had the yeah. crotch grab on. I had house. the that- I had that one. <laughs> yep, and I had him uh, trying to trying to outrun a cop in Arkansas. <laughs> that one I, I was, can I can say is a bad moment. I mean, it's a bad uh, look. But is the crotch grab great. like? I mean, some people hate it. I don't love it, but I don't hate it either. I mean. Could have thrown it on there, I guess. It was it was the cause of death? Well, then that that <laughs> well, <laughs> death, death by crotch grab. Yeah, yeah. And him crying, having to make a public apology a couple days yeah. later too. Um, how about um, how about the throw to uh, Mark Andrews, twenty seventeen yeah, Texas? Yeah. I had that yeah. as well. The yeah, game winning really touchdown good. pass, then him putting on the golden hat, kind of galloping off the field up the tunnel. Yeah. That was one. Yeah. Um, another honorable mention that I had was when he got off the bus at the Rose Bowl Pretenders. carrying the, the Pretender sign. Kind of yeah. a nice little yeah. shot at Lee Corso, uh, who we all remember you know, in the preseason, uh, saying that they were Pretenders, didn't have a shot in hell of making the college football playoffs. So just kind of a, just kind of a nice little touch there. Yeah, yep. I didn't, ha- I didn't about, have any others. You didn't have any? Oh, I, have a, I have a whole bunch. Okay. Uh, the arm swing celebration. I know TCU <laughs> yeah. game, he did that in the Big 12 Championship <laughs> That's game. That's good, yep. Um, I, that certainly is something that really hadn't been seen before and, and now is yeah. big. How about his uh, his dance before the Russell Athletic Bowl? A terrible bowl game we all want to forget, but uh, a gif now that lots of people like to use and kind of put them in. I think the team already knew this, but put them on the fans radar a little bit as well. I also, I also had the uh, press conference that he gave at halftime of the basketball game uh, where he gave us the famous, uh, you know, I grew up in Austin 15 minutes from the campus. They didn't recruit me. I can't stand them. So Hmm. um, that little rant that he had was also another good one. How about the Heisman Heisman commercials are good too. Yeah. How about uh, him doing a gymnastics routine? Oh Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the Katy Perry uh, dance that he did at the local high school uh, at the PTA event. That's another good one. Yeah. Um, but, but I also I, I had think... him hitting a TCU player in warmups. <laughs> that's really good. And, and guys, this, this might be recency bias, but I have a hard time believing that any player will ever be more beloved in Norman than Baker Mayfield. I mean, is that, is that, too, is that too far out there? Oh, not in the same way. But there's there's just as much love for Sam Bradford as there is for Baker Mayfield, in my opinion. It's just a different yeah. kind of love. Sam was the right. golden child, mm-hmm. and and Baker was the the crazy kid who like you just shake your head and you get so angry, but he's still like he's still your kid. Like and you just yeah. have this like unconditional. So I, I don't think anybody will be loved like Baker. But there are certainly players who are, in my opinion, loved just as much. And and Sam is is up there for sure. And he was kind of like the villain in college football where yeah. you loved him if you if he was on your team, but you hated him if you were an opposing yeah. team's fan base. So um yeah. all really good ones. Really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was there's a lot more material there to work with than I initially thought there would be. Mm-hmm. So um we'll look forward to to seeing that uh uh ceremony at uh, I guess halftime now of the spring game. I think uh, I think fans will be pretty pumped for that. So, yeah. uh, we'll we'll have some more content coming out here in the weeks coming up and leading up to the uh, spring game, covering more uh, sports on the diamond as well as everything that's going on with uh, spring workouts and uh, 
and uh, the spring game preview, of course, as well. So uh, until then, appreciate everyone listening and we'll see everyone again next week on the Mainline Podcast. Podcast.